0: Take your Bibles in turn with me this morning for a few moments to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we're going to come right into the midst of a conversation. The conversation is between Jesus and some of his disciples. They're asking the question, what will be the signs of the end of the times? How will we know when the kingdom of God is near? And he gives them all kinds of insight and gives them things to be watching for. In the midst of it all, he says this, remember Lot's wife. In the middle of the conversation, in the middle of spelling out methodically, here are some of the events of the end times. He says, remember Lot's wife. Now, Of all the outstanding men and women of the Bible, one must wonder just why is it that Jesus would say, remember Lot's wife? Matter of fact, it's not just a suggestion. Here in the original language of the Greek, it's literally what's called in the Greek, the imperative form, implying that whatever you do, do not forget this lady. So what's so important about Lot's wife? What's so important about her actions that we are commanded by the Lord himself to remember her, especially considering there's nowhere in the Bible where we're admonished to remember like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, the great patriarchs. We're not encouraged for that matter to remember Moses, Aaron, or Joshua. There's no command to remember Esther, Ruth, or Rahab. So why would Jesus say, remember Lot's wife? Now to answer this probing question, let's turn our Bibles once again this morning back to Genesis chapter 19, where Pastor John led us last Sunday. Genesis chapter 19, starting with verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square, in the town square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered into his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. Can you imagine now, you've just invited in what you know to be two angels or guests from heaven. And they're in your home, they've eaten with you, it's time to go to bed, and you look through the window and you see your house is surrounded. There is a gang, there is a crowd that's gathered on the outside. Listen what they are shouting out. They call to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Why are you keeping them all to yourself is what they were really saying. Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. We can sodomize these angels of the Lord. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, do not do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters, and Pastor John mentioned how this is such an incredible statement here. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you want or what you want like with them, but do not do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. Protection of an individual inside of your home was a high thing at that time. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot to move forward to break down the door. But the men inside, which we know are the angels now, reached out, pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck, that is the angel, struck the men who were at the door of the house, struck them with blindness, the young and old with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters and said, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But the sons-in-laws, they thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he had hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them, that is of the angels, said, flee for your lives. Don't look back. And don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I will die. I can't reach the mountains, is what he's saying. It's too far away, or I'll die. Look, there is a town near enough to run to, and it is small, let me flee to it, and it is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request to you. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town is called Zor. By the time Lot left Zor, the sun had risen over the land. They had run throughout the night, in other words. Then the Lord rained down, burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew these cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities, also the vegetation and the land. Look at verse 26 now. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. But Lot's wife looked back, And she became a pillar of salt. Now, Lot, along with his wife and two daughters and sons-in-laws-to-be, they lived in the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were universally known all throughout the nation and around the land for their moral decadence. Morally, the cities were bankrupt. Wickedness abounded. Violence filled their streets. Getting drunk was a daily way of life in Sodom. In Sodom, everything was done to excess. They loved living on the edge and throwing away all restraint. Homosexuality was bold, it was brazen, it was open and it was aggressive. The city of Sodom was filled with sexual predators, even demanding now the two angels residing at Lot's home be brought out to them for sexual pleasure. The cities have become, sadly, a stinking cesspool of sin. Remember what Jesus said now in the New Testament. Remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife slowly but surely had become calloused. She had become desensitized and quite at home, even surrounded by the sin of the city of Sodom. After all, it was home. Friends, You need to understand this world is not our home this morning. And we must become, you know, with the understanding, we must have the understanding that we should not become too comfortable here. We must never forget that God knows what is happening on his earth. And he knows and has a plan for this earth. Following the fiasco now of trying to bust Lot's door down to get to the angels, I want you to listen to what the angels said following that account. Look at verse 12. It says, The two men or the angels said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in this city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Now it's clearly evident here that the Lord cares about families because he says to him, do you have anyone else living in the city? Do you have any family members here? Do you have any sons-in-laws? Do you have any sons, daughters, or anyone else living amongst you in this city? Get them out of here because you are going to see the destruction. Get them out because we are now going to destroy this place. The city has gone so far. It's beyond saving. It's beyond redemption. There's not even 10 in the city that will serve God. The city is non-redeemable, and it's now going to be destroyed. Now, Lot took this warning of the two angels to heart, and he hurried out, and he began to speak to his two son-in-laws that would soon be part of his family. Look at Galatia, or rather Genesis chapter 19 and verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws that were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But the sons-in-laws, they did what? They thought he was joking. So he hears the message that the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed. And the angel said, is there anyone else other than your two daughters and your wife that you have in this city? And he said, I have two that are engaged to my daughters. They're sons-in-laws, and I care about them. I believe that any parent in the house today that has a son-in-law or daughter-in-law, you understand how special that relationship is and how they are like flesh of your flesh and bone of your bone. And so he runs out. The Bible says he hurried out to reach them. And he told them time is of the essence. You need to get out of this place. The Lord is about to destroy this city. But Lot's soon to be son in laws, they thought he was joking. The original language there implies mockery. Matter of fact, they may have said something like, The crazy old goat has now lost his mind, just like his uncle Abraham. We're not going anywhere, this is home. And no matter what storm comes our way, we will weather it, we'll be okay, we're going nowhere. Now look at verse 15. With the coming dawn, the angels urge Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, we'll come back to that phrase in a moment, when he hesitated, The men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they were brought out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. Now I want you to consider for a moment here the high drama that's taking place. It's as though the angels are saying, forget your sons-in-laws now. They've had their chance. They have chosen rather to mock rather than to follow. You must hurry. Time is of the essence. Take your wife. Take your two daughters. Destruction is coming soon. Run for your lives. And the Bible says, even knowing this, when he hesitated... You know, reading the narrative here, you can feel a lot's of emotional tension. There's a lot happening in a very short period of time. Both of his sons-in-laws had refused to come along, mocking him, and I'm sure that he's hesitating, thinking, maybe if I were just to say one more word to him, if I could just tell him one more time what the angels have said, maybe they'll change their mind and will join me and my wife and two daughters, and they'll come along with us. When he hesitated, his two daughters, I'm sure, were heartbroken. And I'm sure that it was just kind of dragging them all the way, getting them out of the city. In the back of their minds, they're thinking, these were the men that we were engaged to. We were hooking our future onto their wagon, and we were looking forward to having life together with them. They're heartbroken. And as far as his wife, Lot's wife, she's moping all the way. Look at Genesis 19 and verse 16. It says, when he hesitated, the men then grasped, this is the angels, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain, flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. Now the angel's instructions here were both crystal clear and totally understandable. Here was the instructions. Flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Don't even remain close by where the judgment of God is going to fall. Get as far away from here as you possibly can. Look at verse 23 now. By the time the lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. They'd run all night long. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. I think all of this is a lot easier for us to understand the destruction after seeing what happened in Maui this past week. I would dare say that many of us in this room have been to Maui at one time or another over our lives and have been to the western city there of Lahaina, right along the ocean. I've been there many times. I've eaten in their restaurants. I've gone into their stores. I've walked in and enjoyed some of their art. All of this, it was amazing street. And on this street, there's not one thing left standing today. It's all gone. Thousands have been displaced. It has been leveled. There is nothing but ruins left. I think we've all seen enough pictures in our minds, so now maybe we can transfer that thought a little bit over to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. God rained down fire from heaven, the Bible says, and not only destroyed the city, it destroyed all that were living within it. It came suddenly upon them. You know, one of the things that they're saying regarding the the fires there in Lahaina was that there was no warning. There was no tsunami warning that would be an indication that something was happening. There was no indication at all that their lives were on the line and families were left in their homes and they have found them now as they've gone, the first responders going from house to house through the ashes, finding families huddled together trying to protect themselves from the flames. Jesus said when he returns, he's coming like a thief in the night. He is coming in a moment when we think not. They have been warned, and we have been warned. And I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying about Lahaina or Maui. I'm not saying this was necessarily the judgment of God. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that I believe now, with that in our mind, as fresh as it has been from this past week, and the loss of life, Men and women trying to get out of the city, get to Front Street, from Front Street to the main highway, the roads were blocked, and they burned to death in their automobiles. It was sudden. And so now the Bible says, "Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and the vegetation in the land." Now Sodom and Gomorrah, you may wonder just exactly where was these two cities? They were located southeast of the Dead Sea. And over the years, I've taken many groups there, and as we take groups there, many times as we go over to Jordan, we will take and look at the land and the place where Sodom and Gomorrah once was. But if you drive through there today, all you'll see is a long, long stretch of absolutely nothing but barrenness and sand. There will be a few ominous remains of sulfur and brimstone. Other than that, it's all gone. Everything. Look at verse 26. Then comes the sad words recorded in verse 26. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. First of all, let me ask you, In your mind, why in the world, when being warned by the angels of the Lord, when her husband and even the angels are leading the way, saying, get out of the city, don't even stay near it, get as far away as you can, why would she look back? Possibly it was for the longing of her wealth that had been left behind. Pastor John did an excellent job last Sunday of reminding us that it was a decision of greed that led them to live where they were living there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe it was a house that was full of goods. Maybe she was thinking as they were leaving the city of Sodom, maybe she was thinking about, you know, I finally had the house of my dreams. And what a foolish, stupid thing. We're leaving that behind. Because two angels show up and say, supposedly, that the city is going to be destroyed. And by the time we ever get back there to reclaim what is ours, it's all going to be used and confiscated. Maybe it was the familiar. This is all she'd ever known for the last number of years. And as a result of that, she knows what Sodom is like. She's not sure what the next place is going to be like. Or maybe it's her friend's. Maybe she thought about her friends back there and the good times they had together. And maybe that's why she turned back. Or maybe it was for her sons-in-law. Maybe she was thinking, you know, these guys, I really got to like them. And I was so looking forward to having them part of our family. And they're back there, and I'm up here running like a fool, trying to get away from the city. Why did she look back? Was it doubt? Was it fear? Why did she look back? Even another question, and that question is, is why, when God judged her, why a pillar of salt? Why not a pillar of clay? After all, when God made Adam from the dust of the ground, he shaped and formed it. Why not just kind of return her back to the original state, and that original state being that of of just clay, dirt? Why not stone? You know, stone would be a whole lot more lasting for, for generations to come. Why not stone? Or why not wood? You know, a little understanding of the unusual role that salt played at that time, I believe will shed new light on why I believe she became that pillar of salt. You know, at various times throughout history, salt has been used as a form of currency. Matter of fact, there have been times throughout history when one ounce of salt was equal to one ounce of gold and rather than bartering and trading with coins or with silver or gold or any other precious metal they actually used salt and they used salt as the measure for currency matter of fact we're told that in ancient rome soldiers were paid in salt and they were given this allowance of salt and uh, this is how they were paid Have you ever heard the saying, they're not worth their salt? What they're really saying is, they're not worth, but they're being paid. Salt had value, and this value was part of the currency. So we might say, then, it was part of the money system of the day. The word salary, I think all of us know that term salary. Salary comes from the Latin word for salt, which is Saul. And so, I believe, in the case of Lot's wife, the pillar of salt became a lasting symbol of the thing that she loved the very most. And therefore, when God judged her, she became pillar of salt. If you drive through that land today, which is on the eastern side, or the western side, I should say, of Jordan, eastern side of the end of the Dead Sea. There is a place there that has traditionally been called the, uh, the statue of Lot's wife. Now that's tradition, I have no idea whether that's of any consequence regarding the picture or not. But nonetheless... I believe that God, when he judged her, said, we're going to make everyone for the years to come aware of what possessed your heart. You live for salt, you die for salt. You want something that's going to identify you for generations to come? Here's where your heart was. Your heart was all in the greed and the time of the finances and all of that of, the, of their family. You know, if you go through a cemetery, they have what they call headstones, you know what they are. On it, you'll find you know the name of the individual, the date of birth, the date of death. Many times, if it's husband and wife sharing the same headstone, they'll share them side by side. And many times, you can get a little picture into their lives. And getting a picture into their lives, sometimes you'll find like a fishing rod engraved in that granite, which lets you know this person was a fisherman. Other times you'll find a boat or you'll find engraved an automobile. Matter of fact, on the gravestone of one of my family members, having been raised and lived all life long in the automobile business, um, there's a little automobile that's engraved right in it. But it's saying to every generation that comes along, this is what we valued. It wasn't always the greatest value of all, but it's what we valued. My parents, before they passed away, they pre-planned their funerals. And they pre-planned not only their plot, their site, but their headstone. If I were to take you there today, it would give you once again a little picture into their lives and what they valued. On one side, it's my mother's name, date of birth and date of death. On the other side, it's got my father's name and the date of his birth and death. But at the bottom in large letters, it says this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And every person that walks to the cemetery and sees that It's a declaration, like the fishing rod, like the boat, the car. There's a thousand things I've seen. Those that are, you know, equestrian, they have a horse. It's, It's like if I could leave something to say, this is what I stand for. So if you go around to the opposite side of my parents' headstone, there's two big hearts. And in the hearts are the names of... Each one of the family, all of my brothers and my two sisters, one of which only lived two weeks before she passed away, all of them listed on the inside of the hearts. Even when I stand there, oh, there's a lot of memories I have of my folks, of course, like any one of us in the room. But when I see that, it says, keep on serving God. As for me, my house, we've made a declaration. We're going to serve the Lord. And on the backside, when I see those hearts and to see our names all engraved in the granite, it lets me know that one of the last things that they want us to know is how much we're loved. A pillar of salt. This is what she lived for. This was her life. This was everything that she valued. So let's let generations to come all look and see the pillar of salt and remember Lot's wife. Remember Jesus, his own words. The only person he ever said to remember, he said to remember other things, but the only person he ever said to remember was Lot's wife. I think we all do well then to remember Lot's wife. We ought to remember Lot's wife when we see the corruption and the culture round about us. When we're beckoned by those that would mock and say, you're a fool, you're just like those guys in the Old Testament. You're like Abraham that believed God. Yes, he believed God and was accounted for righteousness. You're just another fool in a long line of fools. Sometimes that's where it'll come from. Remember Lot's wife. Here's something interesting that they found in Pompeii. I've always wanted to go to Pompeii. And I, number of, uh, several years ago now, I I did the general council of Italy. Um, About a thousand churches gathered there and I had the privilege of speaking to them. Now i wanted to go see pompeii in pompeii what they found because of the ashes of vesuvius is amazing people were literally encased inside of the ash and their lives at the very moment and what they were doing even the inflections upon their faces can be seen to this day they took these Caverns where the body now has decayed over the years. And they took and poured them with, you know, maybe a mixture that we'd say like plaster Paris or something similar to that. And then they made the shape and form. Here's one that was so outstanding that I'll never forget. And you can go there and you can see all of these. It's a lady. She is headed for the gates. You can see the gate of Pompeii. She's on her way out to safety. But she turns around to reach down for a bag of pearls. They found the pearls, they found the bag, all of that encased. And here she is like this, frozen in time. Now whether she dropped them and was going to just quickly try to pick them up, maybe somebody else running out of the city, maybe they dropped them by accident. She saw them and thought to herself, why why I'm not gonna let this just lay here. I'm gonna pick them up for my own. But here's here's the story behind it. She's headed her feet towards safety, but her head and her arms are like this, reaching down for the bag she never got. Remember Lot's wife. Won't you bow your heads and hearts, please? Father, you have so clearly commissioned me to speak this message this morning. I think all of us have just a little clearer vision of what is going to happen one day according to what you've foretold and what Peter told us about in his epistle. That the earth is gonna melt away with a fervent heat. This world is not our home. We are sojourners. Lord, the world is living one way and we find ourselves being called to live a a lifestyle that's increasingly different from the style of of the world round about us. Lord, you're returning for people that have given everything over to you. They're all in. Help us, Lord, I pray to be all in. Help us, Lord, not to have a divided heart. Help us, Lord, I pray not to to linger. Help us, Lord, I pray to leave whatever the old life has been, to go in a new direction and to have our head and our heart in the same direction as our feet. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going say today.